Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 80 of the podcast. And welcome back, every week, everybody, uh, to another week of school. <laughs> I hope you guys are killing it this semester. Uh, it's been a good semester for me, I must say. I've... Uh, I really enjoy my classes and my students uh, a great deal. So I hope you guys are getting a lot out of your classes. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, uh, I have a great interview for you with two college students in recovery uh, that made a film. And we'll get all into that, all up in that she is. Um, but before we do that, a couple of uh, just housekeeping things, whatnot. So I wanted to check in on the rating and review drive I had done for September. So as you guys that have listened uh, since at least the beginning of this semester know, I was trying to do uh, raise some awareness for the podcast uh, by getting people to write reviews. And for every review that I got, I was going to make a donation of $15 to the organization To Write Love on Her Arms. So I was able to get uh, two reviews out of this. Uh, and I wanted to thank those people. And in particular, I wanted to read one that I really enjoyed because I think it was a good summation. Um, never done this before. I probably won't again. But uh, thank you to S. Hain. Uh, who wrote, This podcast is incredible. It offers practical tips for college that are more than generic ideas you would find in every college survival guide. Sometimes it's hard to figure out where you want to go and what you want to be in life, but this podcast gives a good outlook on how you can help yourself achieve what is best for you. And uh, if if that's what people are getting out of this, uh, I am... I guess I'm doing what I what I hope to do. So thank you very much for that for those words. Uh, this also made me realize um, that maybe review drives aren't the best way to 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 get um, donations and or uh, people to write reviews. Uh, it made me also realize that I wonder if people wrote reviews in other countries and I'm just not able to see them on the American iTunes uh, podcast directory. So if you wrote a review from another country and I can't see it, drop me a line. Just let me know. Um, if you want to write what, what you wrote, that'd be great. But um, if you just want credit so that uh, a little bit more money gets donated, uh, that's fine too. I'll, I'll accept your word. <laughs> so college student success podcast at gmail.com if that happens to be you. I, I definitely didn't consider that when I... Um, set up the drive that I may not be able to see all the reviews due to whatever kind of country restrictions they have, Apple and podcasts and whatnot, because I get it. I mean, if somebody writes a review in Japanese, uh, the American readers, most of them wouldn't be able to read it or understand it. So I guess it makes sense to kind of separate them by language. So if that's you, just drop me a line. I don't want to leave you uh, excluded. And uh, if you did it to, to because you wanted to, you know, see some money go to a good organization, I definitely want to know about it. So uh, sorry about that. I'll have to be a little more creative in the future. But thank you to all that participated. Also wanted to recognize World Mental Health Day was this week. And so I think in honor of World Mental Health Day occurring at the same time as the uh, end of the iTunes review drive. I'm going to double the the donations. So it was 15 or whatever that I collected at the end. I'm just going to double it in honor of World Mental Health Day. Thanks to the College Student Success Podcast and the listeners that take the time. It's been uh, really humbling to hear from you guys and, and get feedback. So thank you all. All right. So now we will get into the podcast and so I really encourage you guys, uh, maybe before you listen, you may want to do that, uh, or at the very least, maybe later on or put it on your to-do list, uh, to watch these guys' video, uh, this, these guys' movie. It's a documentary uh, called Day by Day, Students with Disabilities at Tufts, and I've included a link to watch it online for free. You know, you don't have to purchase it. 
Uh, it's on Vimeo. So click that link in the show notes. It is about, I think, 20, 21 minutes long. So not, you know, super long commitment. And then check out the interview because I think you'll really gain a lot of insight uh, if you're interested in the world of disability in general or just, you know, a personal advocate like, you know, a bunch of us are here. I think you'll like it. And I think it will give, you know, some perspective to the interview. But I think these guys got a really um, awesome insight into, you know, the world of disability and how to navigate and succeed in college. So, uh, so you guys, Ben, Ray, Derek, take it away. All right. So I am here today with Benjamin Hosking and Ray Burnoff. They are students at uh, Tufts University, or I think one of you may be a former student, but I'll let you guys uh, introduce yourselves. And welcome to the show, guys. Welcome to the College Student Success Podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks. This is actually the first interview I've done with two people at the same time. Uh, so I'm glad to have you both on. Um, it's good that you're in the same location. So you guys probably yes. will uh, resist the the talking over people that happens when you have uh, like three people on three different Skype calls. But uh, that's, that's why we're here together. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, so really happy to have you on. want to talk about a movie that you guys did that I saw when I was at uh, a, a national conference for uh, Association of Higher Education and Disability. Uh, this, the movie is called Day by Day, Students with Disabilities at Tufts. So if we could maybe just hear a little bit about you guys, and then maybe we'll get into the movie uh, a bit. But uh, just want to kind of know a little bit of background, how old you are, uh, where you're at in the college process, what you're doing now kind of stuff. Sure. Uh, okay. Um, I'm Ray. Um, I'm 21, and I'm a rising senior, so I'm almost finished. Um, I'm a film and media studies major at Tufts, and um, we made this film – Gosh, I guess over the last two semesters, so the, my whole junior year. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm I'm Ben. Uh, Benjamin Hosking is my film credit name, but you can call me Ben. Um, and I'm uh, I'm 23. I just graduated from Tufts uh, officially in the summer, but uh, um, I walked in May. Uh, and I um, I'm a, I was a history major, uh, and I took, but near the end of my career at Tufts, I took mostly film production classes. And yeah, I mean, I'm, what I'm doing now is uh, I'm moving to LA in September to work for a production company as a development intern. Um, and hopefully uh, that'll proceed from there to up the producing track in film. Awesome. Great to hear that. Uh, so yeah, so the, I mentioned earlier the reason I had had you guys on was I had seen the movie you guys had uh, done together called Day by Day. And uh, really sort of brings disability to light uh, on college campuses and really takes this artistic viewpoint of it. Um, could one or maybe both of you just kind of give your uh, your uh, your vision of what you see or what your description of the movie would be uh, when you ask, when somebody asks about it? Sure. Um, so day by day uh, is an exploration of the what how students with disabilities who are artists in particular, um, how they feel at, at, at university. And it's not just Tufts, it's also actually the School of the Museum of Fine Arts, um, where we had uh, some of the students who we interviewed were actually from there, and Tufts just recently acquired that school. And it was an exploration of how they, how they interact um, with the school system, how, they, how their art influences and is influenced by their disability. Um, interestingly, uh, and this was not actually um, something that we in intended like on a large scale, but we actually ended up having uh, six people total, all of whom had uh, invisible disabilities, um, and which was really interesting and wasn't something we intended, but it ended up being a theme uh, across the, the documentary, which was um, students with their disabilities and um, how, whether they chose to show it, whether they chose to keep it quiet for a long time. Obviously, they did open up um, in the documentary. And I remember one of our uh, subjects, um, actually, this was the first time she'd really talked about it. And we did a Q&A at the university afterwards. And uh, it really, apparently, it really helped her a lot to have opened up during the documentary. 
And so I think not only was the documentary to shine a light on their experiences, but also to give them the opportunity to shine their own light. And also I would add that Ray and I both are uh, identified as students with disabilities. Um, and we were actually in, encouraged to, uh, to work on this documentary by the students, uh, Student Accessibility Services uh, Unit at Tufts um, by Kirsten Belling, who's a wonderful advocate for students here. And she uh, reached out to everybody, um, obviously anonymously, uh, to on their their roster. And Ray and I responded and came in. And, um, we we sat down, we worked the ideas with her, and we were able to set up interviews and be facilitated through them. So I would really emphasize that this was a collaboration, not just from between Ray and I, but also with the accessibility services at Tufts. And I, it wouldn't have been possible without them. Um, I was going to say they're, yeah, right. they're super organized, so they do a lot of the um, more logistical tasks, which is... Yeah, scheduling interviews yeah. is like <laughs> wrangling cats. Um, yeah. But we managed to do it with their help. Yes. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit, but I, I was interested in that, like, that inspiration behind, like, you know, because it is a very inspiring film. I watched it again today. Um, it, was there a moment that stands out to you guys, like where, like where you decide, like, oh, we should do this, or it, maybe it was you connecting together, or maybe it was in in one of your individual minds, like we should do this, or you know, maybe it was hearing about uh, the opportunity, or like, could you either of you talk to that a little bit? I think, yeah, for me, they so they sent out this email to the whole film and media studies department saying, hey, we're looking for students with disabilities, preferably to like work on this documentary that we want to make. Um, and I saw it and I was like, no one else is allowed to do this. I have to do it. <laughs> so like to the point where I was actually a little bit annoyed that Ben came on. <laughs> yeah, I, I do remember walking in and getting a very suspicious look from Ray um, and, and like, mm, who is this person coming in to work on this project? But um, I would say that actually this project hasn't just resulted in a in a wonderful film and, and, and an experience for us and for the students, but also I now count Ray as one of my best friends here at Tufts. Um, and I, it wouldn't have happened without the film. And I think actually one of the reasons we were able to make the film and, and were inspired was actually by each other's stories and by our own kind of camaraderie over our disability and wanting to share um, the stories of other people with disability in a positive and non-exclusive uh, or um, tokenizing way. We wanted to really share people's stories in a way that they wanted to tell them. And much like your podcast, um, we felt that uh, if, if we gave voice to students with disabilities, uh, it would encourage them to succeed more because these are all students who've done really incredible things. And we wanted to really shine a light on students who are succeeding, not just students who have difficulties. And every student with a disability is going to have their own struggles. But uh, with these students, we wanted to really show that, hey, disability isn't all gloom and doom. Um, it can result in some amazing art and amazing creativity. And that's what we saw. Um, and so I like to think, and if you watch the documentary, we talk about this, um, uh, that we hope that people will be more open about their disability because um, that's the only way you're going to combat stigma is if a lot of examples aren't just negative ones, they're also positive examples of people who are succeeding with, despite, or even because of their disability. Um, so we're hoping that the film will encourage others to, you know, open up about um, disability. Yeah, I really love that answer from both of you. Um, you know, going back to what Ray said in the beginning, um, I just think it's awesome that the opportunity was provided and framed by the school in that way as like we're looking for people for with disabilities. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. We, we actually in our department ha have had a similar type of experience when we've done our research and we've been looking for uh, research assistance. The research in our department result revolves around at least the stuff I'm involved with uh, college students with disabilities. So right. naturally, when we're looking for research assistance, you know, college students, uh, we we specifically are looking for ones that have had lived experience of, of disability, not necessarily mental health, but, you know, um, yeah. and are, are open about it enough to kind of, you know, be able to talk about it with us and, you know, perhaps with participants, you know, so that because it really does kind of give, I don't know, I, I'm really fascinated by this idea of 
sort of if you have a disability, you might as well leverage it into something <laughs> if you yeah. if, if you feel that, you know, comfortable, you know, when you reach a point when you feel comfortable enough with it. Um, yeah. And I just really love that that theme that's that's brought out in your film. Um, anything more to say about about that specifically this idea that like there are opportunities out there that are unique to people and are actually looking, you know, it, you get a leg up if you have a disability. It's funny. I think I'm I'm very used to leveraging it just because um, of my like history as a person. I'm trans, and you know when you're trans, there's a lot of people who like don't want to hire you or otherwise kind of discriminate against you. But there's certain situations, specifically in college, where you can use that to your advantage. So I had a single both years, not because I applied for a medical single, but just because I was like, hey, I'm trans. Um, what do you have for me? <laughs> so, <laughs> That's so awesome. I, a great example. Needed a medical single anyway, just because of sort of where my physical and mental health were at. But I didn't have to have that conversation because I just kind of used what I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm very used to doing that. It was like nice to do that in a context where it was like, like it didn't feel like we were cheating. It was like yeah. we're actually supposed to be doing it. Mm-hmm. I think I would add with that one um, that – it's interesting, I'm actually about accommodations in that, for the most part, I mean, I've never had difficulty um, procuring them, bit, but that's because I had comprehensive psychological testing, and um, I know that I'm, thanks to this film, actually, I, uh, like, uh, at the screening, um, we had a Q&A afterwards, and that's actually the first time I spoke publicly about being an individual with bipolar disorder, and so, um, and I'm very public about it now. I made the whole Facebook post shenanigans. Ray was there for that. Uh, Congratulations. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so I, I wouldn't say, I, I wouldn't really say I've leveraged it as much as I've acknowledged it and, and, and the faculty and support services at Tufts have been very supportive and acknowledging. Um, but I would say two things, and that is that um, with accommodations, um, I've, I've met students who are who think it is cheating, who think it's unfair. Um, and I, somebody talked about that in the documentary, I think. Yeah. Where it was like people thought that it was unfair that she got extra time on tests for yeah. her dyslexia, but she yeah. probably wouldn't have been able to go to college without exactly. That. Um, and I also have encountered um, not at Tufts, but uh, <laughs> at a certain other university, I encountered a professor who was. Uh, I would actually very happily describe him as a bigot um, and someone who neither respected accommodations nor the idea that people are differently abled and require um, accommodations for that. And uh, so, so much so that I had to, had to put a little, a little pressure on the Dean there to get him to work with the accessibility services there. uh, Because this is someone who said uh, the very first day in class, when I mentioned my, um, need for accommodations and that they were provided and that they were all confirmed and I needed them and it was all ship-shaped paperwork-wise, he says to me, I don't really think we should go through their bureaucracy. Why don't you and I work something out? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that was... That's your clue. Like, we definitely need to work through the bureaucracy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's flag. not just... It was a huge red flag. Plus, I mean, all the other stuff where he would be like, oh, you're that person with that disability and uh othering me in class um yeah no he was he was a real piece of work but uh he got reprimanded so i'm okay with everything and i got the grade i needed to get to graduate so yeah but for the record that was not a test test has been very supportive i've never had issues with tests okay yeah i mean i was going to bring that up if you didn't is this idea like yeah, I've heard that from – actually, I haven't heard it as much from students, this idea like, oh, you have an accommodation. Because I think in the department I'm in, it's it's just it, – it's the norm more than the exception, I guess. Um, right. it, we have a higher than normal population of students with disability because it's Department of Psychiatric Rehabilitation and Counseling. Right. We yeah. draw yeah. a lot of people with lived experience. But I, I have heard stories of – and um, again, not in my department, but – you know, unfortunately, the university I work at is very large where you have had instances of faculty, you know, not implicitly saying as much, but kind of having that attitude of like, um, you know, you're getting an extra, you know, some kind of advantage. Uh, I see it more in the like um, medical sciences type of uh, professions where there's just a seemingly more regimented 
uh, viewpoint of it. But um, yeah, it's something that we're working to change. Um, so yeah. sorry I had that experience. But yeah, that, that is the, the right. I mean, the struggle is part of the game, right? And so when I know uh, I, I led to some help on a movie once, so I can um, somewhat have the, you know, the shared perspective of how much work it takes to make a movie uh and you know just by looking at it you you don't see everything that goes on behind the scenes oh lord no yeah so i'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about some of the struggles you know what what was difficult about it for you guys was it in any way related to disability or not if not it's fine um but what were some of the ways you sort of worked around it because you have a finished product and that's something to be proud of Oh my gosh. Um, well, there, like I said, there, there was the organizational element of it. So we had a lot of help from student accessibility services with that, but there's still the matter of like, you have to be on time. you got to find a way to get there. Um, stuff like that. And, um, in my case, it was extra tough because I also have a physical disability. So we had to move all of this equipment and sometimes there would be days where I was like, Oh crap. I don't know if I can actually help carry all of this. Like, are we gonna do? I hope I did a little bit. Of yeah, help no, we were, right. we were fine. <laughs> ben is very tall, so he just carry tall things. Yeah, it's, that's true. it's all fine. But uh, no, I, I, I distinctly remember um, when we when we budgeted it with accessibility services because they gave us a small, reasonable budget. Yep. Um, enough to fund Ray and I's Ubers because uh, there was no way we were gonna be able to lug it all, all the amount of equipment we needed. And this is the other thing is that. Um, that film was completed with about two and a half crews, so sometimes we had somebody doing sound, sometimes we didn't. Yep. Um, but a lot of times it'd be me on camera interviewing and, and, and coaching the um, interviewees. And by coaching, I mean similar to what you did before this program, which was to you know make them comfortable with where they're going to be, explain that they can always rephrase things and that nothing um, needs to be shared if, it, if, it, if they don't feel comfortable doing so. So that's what I was doing while Ray was setting up three-point lighting um, and uh, sound and the camera and the lenses and everything. Yeah. So kudos to Ray for being a technical <laughs> wizard over there. Um, but I would add this, and that is that um, Ray and I really did collaborate um, with accessibility services and with each other on the questions. And uh, Ray edited it. And something that is often overlooked in film is that although in narrative film, editing is usually adheres to the same story that the script had. Documentary doesn't have a script in that way. So oftentimes the narrative is really built by the documentary editor and Bray was the editor. So uh, a lot of credit for the built in narrative and the arc and the, and the, the themes in there were really crafted by Ray. Um, I mean, we obviously collaborated on yeah. what the themes were, but uh, the execution of that, oh my God, Ray, how many hours of footage do we have? Like three hours. I think. Right, so three yeah. hours doesn't sound that long. But when you're trying to cut it down to an 18 to 20 minute documentary, you got to cut a lot of stuff. Yeah. I think the really hard part there, too, is, you know, these were pretty personal interviews. Yeah. We were asking about something that was like really like a big part of these people's identities and like something that's also really hard to talk about. And on the one hand, like, you know, you're listening to it. And you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe she would open up about that on camera. But then on the other hand, you're like, I can't include all three hours of this. <laughs> yeah. So you have to decide. Like it's it's weird because you're you're giving voice to someone, but you also have to decide what parts of what they said you don't want to include. Yeah, so it's, that's, it's, that's cutting, kind of stressful. Cutting is yeah. so hard. Um, but I, I think I, I think and I think that the, the, the students um, who we interviewed agree with us on this is that they felt that their stories were um, elicited and 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 they felt comfortable sharing their stories. Uh, no one actually ever asked us to remove something or. Uh, so that they felt uncomfortable with the question. Everybody was super comfortable. They even some of them remarked on how much easier it was in some ways than they were used to. Um, and I think that might have to do with the fact that for, when we interviewed with them, both Ray and I were very upfront that we also have disabilities, and so it's not just some person uh, without the lived experience coming in and, and, and talking with them. Which isn't to say that someone without a disability can't interview people with disabilities, but it does add that comfort when they know that it's someone who is going through not the same thing, but a similar category of things. Um, Absolutely. Familiar yeah. kind of struggle. 
and it's something I, I've I've heard so much in interviewing students on this podcast. You know, it's like a cathartic experience to be able to kind of like talk about these things that you've kept in your head or maybe only shared with very very select few people. You know, I'm in recovery for alcohol abuse, and it's like sometimes I I'll bust that out, and people will be like, "Oh, really?" And it like does sort of enhance that connection. Other people, it's not really needed at all. You know, you have the connection because you're good humans. Um, yeah, so, I, um, yeah, I, I would actually add that it was really interesting for me at least, and Ray, I think maybe for you too, in that I was creating a film that was very much about my identity that was narrative, that was fiction, um, but based on my identity. And Ray, I think that was the case for you too, Ginger? Yeah, we, we both were making <laughs> fiction films at the same time As about... Uh, something else like or i guess in many cases the same thing but in my case it was about being trans we were both making these really personal like fiction films yeah. while also working on this documentary yeah i and i was <laughs> making a, a short about um two brothers coping with bipolar disorder and so that was that was interesting in that i think that having made this documentary i felt more comfortable making the narrative short which i filmed after the documentary was done filming mm -hmm. um and also as a result of that um when we did the kind of senior screening slash uh, junior screenings, uh, I was at least very, very open about my um, my mental condition. And, and I was doing that in front of maybe 60 or 70 people who'd come out to see these uh, for at this at this screening for senior films. Um, and we ended the Q&A actually with me uh, talking about how this was about my brother and I and how it was about me as someone with bipolar disorder and my brother as someone um, helping me cope. And so I think in doing this documentary, um, at least for me, I was able to kind of open up initially and then that kind of built, open the gap to really open up about my, my, uh, my condition. And we kind of put our foot in the door. For yeah, 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 yeah. Ray and, and Kirsten, all those other encouraging people are like, nudged the door open. I was like, oh, this is this nice bright view over there. I should take a look. And so I opened that door and it really has actually been freeing. Um, That's awesome. You know, I was, I was, I was, I've been bipolar since I was, thir well, since I was 12, but I was diagnosed when I was 13. And uh, this is something I, that some people knew, but not everybody knew for years. It's not like it was a college diagnosis, which is the case for most people. Um, but it was, uh, it was a childhood diagnosis and that that makes it uh, a little bit more in some ways a bit more controversial mm -hmm. yeah yeah I could really appreciate that it's a perfect lead into my next question because you really touched on a lot of elements of what I think of when I consider the word recovery um, ah. and that's a big topic that we talk about in our department and and on the show and and I think about what, what you've said already Ben about it you know you know what it's like to to talk about it for the first time and see that little window peek open and be like, oh, maybe I could do it this time. Yeah. And, and, um, something you said earlier, Oh, about, you know, making the Facebook posts I can kind of relate to because I think about my own recovery and, mm -hmm. um, next year I'm actually thinking, I've already been thinking about it. It's like, I'm going to make a post at, at the 10 year mark next year will be 10 years. I'm in recovery. And, uh, you know, for, for some people when they read it, probably they'll haven't even known that I've been in recovery for the last yeah. 10 years. Well, they had known you before those 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, or exactly. Or they met me since and they're like, Oh, I didn't know that the, yeah, exactly. it's been like that for you. And it's like, but, um, so it, it those are elements that are, you know, deeply personal, like when to make those decisions and whatnot. So I had, I wondered if you had anything else to say about uh, the concept of recovery and what it means to to either of you uh, in terms of recovery from a disability. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, uh, so at least for me, uh, I was diagnosed at 13. Um, and this was back in, oh gosh, 2008, I guess. Uh, well, actually, that's the thing, though, is in 2008, this was a very controversial diagnosis. Um, in the psychiatric community, uh, it was very divisive as to whether children could be bipolar um, and whether they could be diagnosed and treated at such a young age. And I was kind of on the cusp of adolescence, but definitely signs had occurred since I was a very small baby. Um, and I would say I mean I was in I was not in a good state in middle school. I was in the midst of uh, rapid cycling bipolar, so that's manic episodes for thirty minutes and depressive episodes for thirty minutes, which mm -hmm. is 
to suffice it to say, very disruptive uh, yeah. when you're in middle school, let alone any any time in your life. Um, but yeah, so that didn't work very well. Um, but then I was put on uh, mood stabilizers and antipsychotics, and within three days, uh, as my mother and as my father put it, um, it's like some, some magic. It was uh, as if a, a child had gone from being in the depths of, of a horrible, horrible state, and then now is not quite, you know, what they call normal, but uh, I was certainly, my baseline was much less um, volatile, and I was able to keep the waves, the roller coaster under control, or at least much better. But I will say this, I have been in recovery since then. Um, when you're bipolar as an adult, it's, there's, there are different, troubles with that with when you're bipolar as an adult it's usually an issue of compliance with treatment with medication with therapy and i do also see a therapist and that's been very helpful for a long time um but with adult bipolar and um, i'll talk about my experience with a short brief episode when i was 18 in a moment but when you get it when you're a kid that's when you're learning a lot of social skills. And when you're unable to interact with your peers, you do not learn those social skills. So I had to go from having the social skills, I would say about an eight-year-old um, at age 13 to the social skills of someone who was in you know, high school mm -hmm. very quickly. And it, it took a long time. I would say that until maybe even a year ago, my social skills weren't at the level um, that they needed to be, and maybe they still are. I don't know, but you can tell me I mean, more. Uh, <laughs> Sounded pretty good on this end, dude. <laughs> but, but I really mean that, and that is that um, you know, understanding social cues is something that we all learn, particularly in middle school, and since I wasn't able to do that, um, it was really, really devastating through high school and college um, when I would miss, miss pick up on cues or misinterpret what someone said. Um, plus, you know, being bipolar doesn't mean, and medicated doesn't mean that you don't still experience highs and lows. And so in college, uh, you know, one, you know, minor problem felt like, and somewhat, sometimes it felt like the end of the world, even though I was medicated. Um, and that actually is what happened, uh, in 2012. So I actually came to Tufts in 2012 and I graduated this year, 2017, but I only went for two months in 2012 because... I had a depressive episode spurred, in fact, by the lack of structure at university, mm -hmm. spurred by the complete removal of any high school or parental structure um, around uh, work. And so I began to get really anxious and worked up over deadlines, and due dates, and not turning things in and not getting the extensions I needed um, to the point where uh, I would be catatonic and just not in a good state um, and, uh, you know, lying on the floor full of anxiety, having panic attacks. So thankfully, um, I got pulled out <laughs> and put on medical uh, leave. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't the same as dropping out because that's silly. Um, you should never drop out of college. What you should do is go on leave because you can always come back and finish your degree and you don't kill off all the credits you got. Good um, advice, top yes. Tip, top tip for mm -hmm. students everywhere, don't drop out, take a leave of absence. Um, don't withdraw, take a leave of absence. Uh, so I did that and I went abroad um, to Australia, which is where my dad's side is from, and I worked there for half a year and had a great therapist and did a lot of soul searching and, and, and therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy in particular, um, and was able to come back, able to take, classes and do college um but it really did spook my parents because they thought i was in recovery since i was 13 they didn't know it could come back even mm -hmm. for a month um and it did so i would say that the important thing particularly for mental health is to realize that if it does come back a it's not the end of the world maybe it's a medication change that you need maybe there's an environmental change or a, uh, a social or behavioral um therapy change but People, I mean, mental health, there are relapses, um, and you need to remember, or at least I, I need to remember always, that um, medication therapy don't remove the illness. It just makes it easier to have a foundation on which you can build um, institutions and structures around your life that help you stay up and, and stay in a good place. Um, that's me. Oh, gosh, that was <laughs> long. Uh, Ray, do you want to say anything? Yeah. Um, oh, gosh. So I've had PTSD since my probably mid-teens, um, around the same time that I 
got my herniated disc, which is a physical disability. They don't actually have anything to do with each other, which is kind of funny. But um, I find a lot of the ways um, to recover from those things and deal with them is very similar for me in that, like, it's something that you weren't necessarily born with. It's something that was kind of foisted upon you without your permission. You're not really very happy about it, and it makes life much harder than you would like it to be. Um, and at some point, you kind of have to acknowledge, like, hey, it's never going to be the way that it was before, but it doesn't have to suck as much as it sucks now, and you can kind of learn to deal with it and learn to find ways around what's changed and, like, live the best life that you can, even if it's not the life that you would have had, like, before. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This has been a, a really excellent interview. I really appreciate, you know, not only the, the info about the movie, but kind of, you know, sharing your stories, because I think the audience can really benefit a lot. You know, you guys are one, you're done with school, the other, you're just about there. And I, that's kind of the, the people that I'm looking for that kind of have that perspective, having gone yeah. through it. Um, one last question as we have started to invite faculty to kind of join the party here uh, on the podcast. Um, it sounds like you've had a pretty supportive environment there uh, at Tufts, but I wondered if you had any advice for faculty uh, related to helping students with mental health issues or any kind of disability for that matter uh, succeed, better succeed in college. What could we do better <laughs> as an instructor? Um, I think so. I know maybe it's old news at this point, but I know trigger warnings have been very uh, controversial hot button topic on college campuses in particular. And I think it's kind of, it's, we've reached the point where I'm like, I don't care if you think it's like stupid or that people are being lazy for asking for trigger warnings, just do it. Like it's okay. And if you really, <laughs> and if you really care about the term trigger warning, just put content warning. It's yeah, the same thing. Honestly. And it does yeah. not have nearly the, the controversy. So, yeah. And it's the same thing. So yeah, yeah, professors, but, do yeah, that. it's like it's basically, not. basically like if you're going to teach a class where there's material about sexual assault or yeah. like interpersonal violence or something that like is a pretty common trigger or like just something that could be really upsetting even if somebody hasn't personally experienced that there's no reason not to warn people like i think the the function of a trigger warning isn't so that people can be like all right i'm not coming to class by which is also totally acceptable to do but i feel like a lot of professors feel like that's what's going to happen if they warn people that there's going to be something upsetting Whereas usually I feel like the function of warning somebody that there's going to be upsetting, that something upsetting is so that they can prepare to yeah. deal with it. Um, and so just sort of to provide the resources that let your students deal with what you're teaching if it's a tough, tough, tough topic. Because like we absolutely should be learning about things that are kind of hard to think about, but it should be in a way where it's not like dangerous for you to be there. Yeah, I would add that it's also um, if, if you want students to take your class, Putting a content warning won't discourage them from doing it. It's just a nice notice. Um, and if people are discouraged by it, then presumably your class wasn't that interesting to begin with. Um, because <laughs> if they're discouraged just by that, and and you know, it, and then maybe the situation is that the content really would be would be a trouble for them. But it also, it should, a, it's just courtesy, and b then just work to make the curriculum really good, and and you you will get students. Um, and I mean, these, these topics sometimes mean more people are interested because they want to learn about the issues around um, violence and, and issues uh, related to that. Um, I would also, in terms of what I would advise faculty, and this is something that I did encounter several times and it was always so great, uh, was when faculty would let me talk to them about my disability. Um, and you know, they, they all do that, but I really, have office hours and encourage people to come not just for like questions about the homework have office hours where you can talk to about anything because i guarantee you you could save not only someone's college career you could save a life by talking to someone who's having a rough time and if you if you really open and say my office hours you can always come talk to me about college about how your life's going within reason obviously don't yeah. don't bother don't bother them no no 24 7 but um i think within reason like i had a professor who was my advisor my history advisor and i wouldn't have come back to tops if it hadn't been for a wonderful pep talk he gave me before i left because i had a i had him as a professor that fall and he said well you're always welcome back ben and i really hope to see you in my class in, in 2013 and i and he did um and he was oh my goodness he was so great and he 
we'd talk about all sorts of things and he would give me advice and really supportive environment for college. And I had other professors who totally understood when something was late because I'd have I'd had anxiety that weekend and, and they would be very supportive. Um, and this at Tufts, I just, I never met a professor who didn't respect and understand that I needed a little bit of different deadlines sometimes than other students because sometimes I'd have a depressive phase and then I really did need um, the, the extension, um, otherwise they wouldn't be getting a paper. Uh, and I think that's really important. I, I mean, shout out, um, I mean, I'm just going to say a shout out to Professor Proctor if you're listening. I, I hope you do, but you're, you're the man. You're the best, um, best history professor and, and certainly the best um, advisor a, a student could ask for. So professors, faculty, open your doors, listen to your students, be a kind, open ear, uh, and I guarantee you, you will be saving not just college careers. You'll be saving lives because there are a lot of students who, you know, just if they hear that, if they if they if they talk to you, then they might stay at college. They might, you know, build a network of friends. They might have a great experience that they might not otherwise have had if they hadn't had that nice pep talk. So, go pep talks. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's really office hours are super important. Yeah. Just because you know sometimes students will be in a place where they don't feel like there's anyone who's hearing them, and if you're like, hey if you think that you might have trouble later in the semester, just come warn me at the beginning. Yeah. And somebody comes in and they're like, hey, I feel really crappy and I don't know what's going on, but I'm worried that I might need extension on the final paper. You can be like, hey, have you uh, thought about you know going to counseling or exactly. like checking in with health services? Yeah. Um, so I think it's yeah, really important to like be listening and be paying attention yeah. um, and sort of be patient with students. Um, I would add one other thing, and this is about counseling. Tufts has a mixed history. Yes. Um, so faculty have been great. It's been, actually, it's been counseling that I would I'd say needs a little step up their game. And that is that a lot of colleges don't do long-term therapy. I've never heard of one that does. Actually. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know of any that do either. Maybe I haven't either. Exactly. No. Yeah. So there's a huge issue, which is that they're like, oh, go find a provider off campus. Well, a lot of students are already having enough trouble as it is getting into the counseling office, let alone finding a provider off campus in a town that they are not familiar with, with doctors they've never met and don't know anything about. And, so, and a lot of students who may be the first time in their family that someone has gone to a therapist are already intimidated. So if they could just go through the school without having to, say, talk to parents that don't understand, if they could just see a counselor you know, at the school regularly, week to week, I think a lot of students would stay in university and a lot of students would not have um, some of the issues that have been coming up increasingly in university. Yeah. I feel like even if just the referral system was yeah. better, because a lot of the time, you know, like I, I had an issue finding a psychiatrist where I, I've been really fortunate to, like I grew up around here, so I just kept the same therapist the whole way through college. But um, I decided that I was going to like look for medication and I had a huge amount of trouble finding one, so I went to Tufts Counseling to see if they could refer me to a psychiatrist, and instead they referred me to their social worker, who then tried to refer me to a psychiatrist, and it all wound up going nowhere, and my therapist just found me one. Yeah. But, you know, if yeah. I had already had that therapist, I might have just given up. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think there are a lot of students who get super discouraged by the kind of in-and-out nature of, yeah. of counseling universities and that the biggest, I think the biggest crime right now in, in medical health at universities is that they don't have long-term therapy because there are a lot of students with increasing issues. There's a lot of mental health issues on campus and sending students out into the wilderness of, of professionals off campus or even if the universities could just bring in professionals. Uh, and I, I mean, like professionals who do it long term, and are willing to see students over the years with their time at college. If they could just do that, yeah, so many students would not have to withdraw or take a leave of absence. Which again, leave of absence is better than withdrawing. Always remember that. <laughs> and that's that's my say on that one. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know if you're already feeling depressed or super anxious or something yeah. else is going on, the absolute last thing that you feel like doing is making a bunch of phone calls and navigating bureaucracy. Like, oh yeah. A lot of the time you just can't like it's yeah. it's super frustrating and confusing and like nobody wants to do that so i think there's there's a gap to be filled in terms of either finding people to help students get through the process of trying to find a long-term therapist or just offering them so that they don't have to do it thank you yeah yeah 
you guys stepped up your game when it came to the advice section. Shit. It's like, man, uh, I got to incorporate some of those things, particularly the office hour one rang true for me because, you know, we all yeah. put it we all put it in the syllabus. But I think that uh, I'm going to make an effort. This is going to air in the in the fall, but we're recording it sort of before this fall semester starts. But I think uh, I'm going to try and. Yeah. step up my game that way and can make because i do like introductory videos i teach online uh, a lot so this semester actually i'm all online all my classes are online so i'm gonna try and um despite them being online a lot of the students are in the area and on the campus right. so i'm gonna yeah, kind of make it a point like to be like you know just because it's a, an online class doesn't mean office hours don't really apply come see me you know it doesn't necessarily have to be about assignments because uh, i think that's good a good uh well def certainly a good way to kind of um end the interview but also to kind of uh for faculty i think to think about moving forward is like you know office hours don't have to just be for you know getting extra help with an assignment you know exactly. so good I, and i would add one more thing about that is that um something that i've never seen but i wish would be done um, and i've heard of it being done but i've never seen it in the class is actually requiring students to meet with you for an hour of office hours at the beginning of the semester. I actually have had classes. Oh, well, good. Yeah. Because I think what that does is it breaches the scare factor. Mm -hmm. A lot of students are scared of seeing their professors. Um, and I, I, understand, I understand why they can be intimidating. And I think that if you have professors mandate that you see either them or the teaching assistant for one hour at the beginning of the semester, not only to talk about you know this class, but also just to familiarize yourself with the resources that there are, I think that would be great, and and I hope professors, you know, do that, or even just a fifteen minute session with every student. That would be great. Not an hour, fifteen minutes would yes. do. But just to yeah. break the to to build the trust thing and bring down the 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 the, the scare barrier. Yeah, well, I, yeah. So many people are like, oh, well, like I have to have a really pressing question to go to office hours. Like, you know, no, I don't want to waste their time. And at some point, it's like, you know, it can become such a big issue that you really ought to be wasting their time, even though you feel like you shouldn't. Exactly. <laughs> And it's not wasting their time. This is their no. job. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. All right. Really great job. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I appreciate you having uh, taken the time. Want to respect yeah. your time. Uh, just so everyone knows, I'm going to put the link to the video in the show notes for the episode. Sure. So Which link are you using, by the way? I have a Vimeo link. All right, let me, you can totally use that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's currently got the first uh, version of the, the film, which is 21 minutes, but I can put up um, the the one you saw at the conference, if you'd prefer. Well, whatever you would like the audience to show, send me a link uh, in your email, and I'll make sure it sure. gets, yeah. gets uh, It'll the be the same link. It's just a matter of um, whether or not uh, it's the new one. So, Ray and I'll talk about which one we want, but yeah. it's the same content. So, okay. uh, we'll definitely, it's the same link. So, don't worry about link changing. It, that is the same link. Okay. Yeah. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Great. Awesome. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day. All right. That was pretty good, wasn't it? Really great information there, especially at the end. I, I've tried to invite faculty to kind of join us this semester, and I think that the suggestions that they give at the end for faculty just really hit home for me. <laughs> uh, it made me realize, you know, what I really can do to get better as an instructor. So thanks to you guys for, uh, for your guys' thoughts and for coming on the show. So for our home exercise this week, considering what instructors, professors, faculty can do for us and our goals, your goal this week is to reach out to one of your instructors uh, for something that you need. So it could be related to just general academic goals. You know, oh, I have this exam coming up, I want to discuss something, or I bombed this last thing and I want to talk about a way to make it up, or whatever it is. Even if it's just like, you know, you just particularly like a professor and want to get to know them a little bit better, maybe you that might lead to some kind of opportunity. You know, these types of networking things that happen um, do so for a reason, you know. Um, just kind of random aside, but similar to this, shout out to my wife who um, this week was doing some online courses related to her craft, uh, what she does for a living, and was in to talk to her boss later on after that week and, you know, let her know what they were, what she was doing, and it led to an opportunity, 
you know, something that I think my wife was pretty excited for. And, you know, it was probably something that her supervisor would have would have eventually, you know, helped her out with. But I think that showing the initiative, you know, just putting in a little bit work and then going to your supervisor or going to your faculty, you know, your teachers, your professors, whoever, um, to let them know, you know, leads to opportunities that you may not have even thought. Like, so sometimes you may just go in one and talk about something and you walk out with, you know, a research assistant position or a volunteer thing that's going to help you with your grad school, you know, applications because you could put it on your resume. I don't know. But uh, professors have a lot, you know, that they need. So students that are willing to help will, you know, be rewarded, not necessarily with, you know, a grade. You know, they shouldn't be showing favorites, even though they do, uh, even though they have favorites. Um, so, but, you know, it certainly lends itself to being able to kind of build your brand for whatever you're trying to accomplish in the future, whether that be grad school, whether that be a job, whether it just be, you know, learning some more about the topic because it's just something you're hella interested in, you know, and it ends up becoming, you know, a career decision type thing for you. So you never know. You never know what you can uh, get by uh, talking to faculty. Uh, you don't know what faculty need unless you ask, you know. So uh, if there's a faculty member out there that you've been um, had on your to-do list to follow up with, um, it doesn't have to be in person, you know, during office hours, but that's that's a good way. Uh, it could be an email or it could be if you're taking a class with them currently and you just talk to them after class or before class. So whatever works for you. All right. All right, everybody. Hope you have a great week. Be back at you next week. And uh, make sure you guys kill it with your goals, you know. I, uh, I'm i feeling really good, like I said at the beginning of the uh, the podcast, about my classes this semester. And, um, you know, read some really good good work by my one class in particular this week and uh, this morning before I recorded it. Just kind of like set me on a good path for today. So I hope you guys have a similarly good path after listening to this podcast. All right, everyone. Take care. Be back at you next Thursday. Peace.